Welcome to Activate Your Potential, a podcast dedicated to helping Latinas and daughters of immigrants tap into their strengths, step into their power, and unleash their fullest potential. I'm your host, Carla Santamaria, a civic engagement professional turned mindset and success coach. Each week, I will be sharing insights and conversations to help you embrace a growth mindset, leverage the skills you already have, and reach your wildest dreams. If you are ready to tap into your inner strengths, successfully navigate life's many transitions, and activate your fullest potential, you've come to the right place. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today's guest is Evie Prete. Evie is a salary negotiations layer and is the founder of the La Mala Mujer blog. She is a former rocket engineer, a first-gen Latina, and helps people slay their salary negotiations. Let's get into the episode. Hi, Evie. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm very excited to, to chat with you. Me too. Um, So why don't we start off by you introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your journey. Sure. Uh, My name is Evie Prete. Oh, man. Uh, Where do I start? I am a first-gen Latina engineer. I actually worked uh, as a a rocket scientist. Um, And in entering white-collar spaces, I was the first in my family to navigate a lot of these things, like 401ks and negotiating salary and even personal finance. So it was very a tough roadmap for me because I didn't really have somebody to help guide me. Um, and because of that, I, you know, have a lot of friends and myself who were like underpaid and I really wanted to advocate for myself and for others. So the last couple of years I have been advocating for myself in salary negotiations and also teaching my friends how to. And so finally I started a uh, group coaching program to help women and people of color with negotiating salary because so many of us don't. As a matter of fact, only 40% of women do. So that's something I'm like very passionate about changing. Wow, that is, that's amazing. I, I'm so excited to hear that because yes, I, I agree. Unfortunately, you know, like as women, as people of color, there is almost this like be grateful mentality, mm-hmm. you know, and also this fear like one of the things that I've had to, to work with, with people that I've mentored and coached is, hey, you earned your spot here. You know, they're not doing you a favor no, by hiring absolutely. you. Yes. Yeah. That's like, I feel like so many of my clients and myself included, like definitely fell into that mindset. And I think it's because, you know, gr- growing up with humble beginnings, I was always taught to like, be very thankful for everything that I had, which is very great, I think, to have, you know, when you're at a carne asada with the family, but when it comes to, you know, your employer, it like needs to be a different conversation and a different mindset because they're not family, right? They, this is a business transaction and it's sometimes hard to remember that that's not something we have to entertain in the workplace. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, be, you know, I want to I talk a little bit more about that. But before, I wanted to ask you, because I love your name, Salary Negotiation Slayer. <laughs> <laughs> so that is, um, yeah, that is just killer. It reminds you of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, yes. Excuse me. <laughs> I love that show. <laughs> so, you know, it's been, what, I think 20 years, right? And even though it's a little bit dated, I honestly feel like it uh, pushed uh, women to slay, right? Yeah, yeah. There's definitely some like things that I feel like were timeless and um, what's the word? Aged very well. Yes, yes, I agree. Okay, so then um, can you talk a little bit about that corporate environment, right? And how it's mm-hmm. different environment. It requires different mindset than being with your family. Can you talk about some of the mindset that maybe um, is required to slay salary negotiations or even just to succeed in corporate America? Yeah, that's such a great question. There's so many different ways that I think we can approach that, but let's see. I think the first thing is um, many times we feel like, this is a good one. I think many times we feel, especially as women and people of color, we feel like we have to like prove that we belong or prove that we earn this kind of like you mentioned. So what does that mean? That usually means that we put in more work, that we work longer hours, and we are not necessarily getting compensated for that. 
And it comes from a place of like, well, I need to prove that I deserve this. And kind of like you said, like you already deserve to be here. Like you don't have to work 10 hours a day or, you know, put an extra time, uh, especially when you're not going to get compensated for it. And what the reason why I like to talk about this in particular is because when we go into salary negotiations or when we start a new role, we are setting the expectations with the employer. So if I right off the bat to start overworking and, you know, uh, working longer hours and putting in more work, I'm kind of teaching the employer that like, I will do work for free. Like I will do extra work for and not get compensated for it. And the problem is, this is like part two of this mindset is many times we feel the employer will give me the raise I deserve. And so we work hard, we work, you know, put in so many hours, we do a great job. And then when it comes to salary negotiation or like that annual review, what we see is like, we barely see a bump that, you know, barely keep us, keeps up with inflation, you know, like that 3%, you know, annual raise. And then we're kind of like, oh man, like I put in all that work for a year, all that time that I can't get back and I'm not being compensated for it. So those are like two, like, like they're separate mindsets, but they're definitely related. So I like to remind people that like you are setting the expectation. So it's really important to think about like what expectation are you setting? And two, to make sure that like, you know, don't assume that your employer is going to pay you what you deserve for the hours you put in, because many times they're looking out for their bottom line and trying to keep within their tight budgets. And so like, they're not necessarily looking to like give maybe a raise that corresponds with the work that you have done. Um, so there's just two little ones that I feel like we do right off the bat, especially as young professionals, we feel like we have to prove and we have to like really show up and we're just giving like, what's that one saying? Um, if you're really good at something, don't do it for free. And sometimes yes. we put in extra time and extra work and we're not really getting compensated for it. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. So I definitely, I am guilty of those 10 hour days. Oh my God, my girl, me job. too. <laughs> me too. <laughs> like my first job out of grad school I was showing up there by eight o'clock in the morning and leaving at six o'clock at night and my boss did it too and so where I worked my boss was not only in the same building but we shared a wall mm -hmm. and everybody else was in different satellite campuses so everybody's mm -hmm. like Carla just leave at 4 30 <laughs> you don't have to stay until six but I definitely felt like I had to. And, mm -hmm. and yes, so setting expectations. I, I want to talk a little bit more about that um, because I recently posted on my Instagram stories, you know, like what are some of the challenges that people um, encounter that first gen white collar workers encounter? Mm -hmm. And the one that is resonating, that was resonating with people was unclear expectations. Mm -hmm. And so... I think that often in, in the workplace, we tend to forget that expectations go both ways, yes. you know, so, um, yeah. So do you, do you have any thoughts on that or like how expectations go both ways? Yeah, that's a good one. I feel like, especially as first gen entering the workplace, we just kind of assume that, um, like they're going to have clear goals or clear work assigned for us, or maybe even clear expectations. And that's not always the case. Sometimes there's a lot of ambiguity in a job or in a role. And it's really important to be successful, to be able to reach out to your supervisor or manager and say like, hey, like, what are the expectations here? Like, because if we make assumptions, then what happens is like we overwork or we take on parts of a role that is outside of a role, but we're still doing it. So therefore we're like not getting paid for that work. So it's really, it's okay to ask, uh, you know, for clarification on like, what are the expectations here? Like how often, so what I like to tell people is if there's like, maybe not clear expectations to reach out to your supervisor or manager and say, Hey, like, how am I doing? Can we have a check-in every week or every two weeks to see like how I'm doing to make sure that I'm getting the work that needs to be to happen done. And if not, like I need a little bit more clarification on what that even means. And sometimes like a lot of uh, managers that, you know, are employees in the move into managerial roles, just because they're managers, maybe doesn't mean that they're good with people. And sometimes you, they need to 
friendly reminder of like, hey, I need a little bit more guidance. And then sometimes I'll be like, oh yeah, I haven't given them any guidance. I should probably do that as a manager. So it's kind of like just creating that pathway of communication to help make both parties successful, right? Yes. Oh my God, yes. You know, like uh, sometimes people move into management positions who unfortunately shouldn't. Um, they may be really good like being a manager and knowing how to manage people is a completely different skill set than being good at your job. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes. I think people now over the last few years, maybe over the last decade, people are starting to realize that. But before, no, it was like, oh, you're good at your job. Fantastic. You're now a manager. And then you have people who have no desire to be a manager, no skills to be a manager. Yeah. Being forced to manage. And so what does that result in? you know, the next generation. So us showing up to the workplace and being afraid to ask for clarification, Yeah. Be, you know, but it's like, no, mm -hmm. it's, it's okay. Like you said, sometimes the manager just needs a little bit um, of a reminder that, Hey, <laughs> you're <laughs> supposed to be the person I turn to for help. So here I am. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, I think that's like always a great way to communicate one, like, not only do you need clarification or maybe some more guidance, but two, it kind of shows initiative. Like, Hey, I want to be good at my job. Like I, I would like to check in with you. So I feel like, and especially if they're your manager and they hear that from you early on, it's like, Oh, this person like really wants to do well. Like they want to be successful in their role. Like, and they're reaching out for help. Like it's kind of like a really good, it's like the equivalent of sitting in the front of your class like, you know, in a room of 300 people, you sit in the front row every, every class, you're training the professor to be like, to recognize you to so, say, Hey, like they show up and they're in the front row every time. It's kind of like that same, um, what's the, what's the word? Um, the phrase is, I always mix my phrases up. Like I, oh, it's okay. I do uh, too. like top of mind. That is like, you okay. want to say top of mind with your manager. Mm -hmm. Yes. And you know what? That just reminded me. Yeah, because in college, absolutely. Yeah, go sit in the front. Mm -hmm. Everybody, you know, if you had any sort of mentorship, they told you, go talk to your professor during office hours, you know? And then it's like, why does, why are we as first gen one white collar workers not being told, hey, ask for feedback constantly because it might not be, um, it might not be easy for your manager to give you feedback because maybe that's not their skill set or maybe they're just so overwhelmed and maybe they themselves are underworked. And so, like you said, we wanna be top of mind. And one thing that you said that I think is really important, well, you know, <laughs> is, um, hey, I wanna do my job well. Mm -hmm. And that's such an important frame of mind because I talk to a lot of women or a lot of, of immigrants and people of color actually who feel afraid to ask for help because they think that that is going to tell their manager or tell their colleagues that they don't know what they're doing. Yeah, and the thing is that sometimes we don't like, and that's why we need some more clarification on like, what exactly do I need to get done? I feel like also like coming from like a managerial role or like a team lead, like, how can I provide support if I don't know what, like, my team is struggling with? So that's why, like, when someone comes to me with, hey, like, you forgot to give us this tool to perform our job, then it's like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. Let me do that right now. That way you can be successful in getting this done. So it's, it's when you change that perspective from, like, I'm afraid that they, they're going to think I don't know what I'm doing to, um, I want to make sure that they know I'm very, like, serious about doing a good job, I feel like it makes it easier to ask, you know, for help. So I really love that you pointed that out. Yeah, thank you. And, and yeah, thank you for, for expanding on that. Absolutely. Um, so I wanted to ask you, before you became the salary negotiation player, <laughs> you were a rocket scientist. Can you talk a little bit about that? And what was it like being a first-gen Latina in engineering? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, you know, in college, I was often like one of the only women and then women of color in my class. Luckily, I had like a couple other friends that, um, you know, I bonded with over the years and we were all like women of color. So it was nice to have like a small set of close friends to get through college. But starting off, personally, it was a struggle for me because 
I worked full time um, waiting tables and then also full time as an engineer in like in college. So I didn't have a lot of the luxury that some of my colleagues have with like only focusing on school. For me, the reality was, do I pick up a shift at work in this class because I need to pay rent or do I let go of that extra shift so I can be there to prepare for the midterm? So these were some of like the reality that I was dealing with. So as a result, my grades, like I kind of had to like teeter the, like the game I played was I'm not going to worry about the project because I'm going to do really well on the exams. And so my grades were not like top tier, like I wish they would have been. It doesn't mean that I didn't know the materials because I literally had to choose between paying rent or doing my homework. And, um, when I entered the workforce, I definitely had a lot of imposter syndrome because I didn't have the GPA that a lot of my colleagues had. And so it made me feel like, oh, I'm not a good engineer or I'm not smart enough, or I can't land a top, you know, you know, fortune 500 job. Like it, it really like this imposter syndrome and these like limiting beliefs all derived from a three digit like number. You know what I mean? Literally from my GPA. And it's crazy <laughs> yeah. that I let that happen that I let my GPA define how good or bad I am as an engineer and when I entered the workforce I like my first job was at a very toxic work environment and it was a terrible experience and as I went forward in my career I started to really discover that like my GPA has nothing to do with my skill set nothing to do with my capabilities I was outperforming a lot of my peers who were top of their class and I was really like making an impact in you know, the jobs that I worked in and making a big impact on the teams and driving cost initiatives and like waste reduction, which turns to like more profitable, more profitable businesses and different things like that. So I think after I got over myself and those like that belief that like I'm not as good, that's where I really started to take off in my career. I really started to go for positions and jobs and companies that I might've been afraid to early on in the career, but at some point I was like, you know what? I know I'm an amazing engineer and I'm going to land that job with that space exploration company. And I literally just like said it out. I bugged a recruiter for months. And then finally they got back to me and they're like, okay, we're going to get you in. We're going to get you in for an interview because I'm tired of you spamming my inbox. <laughs> and I was just very <laughs> relentless. And when I got in there and had the opportunity, I studied so hard for that exam and I really showed up as myself I said I remember telling myself I'm going to show up and I'm going to be my most authentic self and if they don't like me that is not the place for me to work and bring my skill set and coming from that abundant mindset I walked in and this interview lasted eight hours eight hours what yes <laughs> wow. it, it was an eight hour interview I was so brain dead by the end of it that I would just like I finished and I was like, I think that went well, but also who knows, I'm so tired. And then within that same night, that evening, I got a call from the recruiter saying that they wanted to bring me on board. So it was like a very, for me, a big deal because it was something I always wanted to do. And I got to work with people who were like, you know, top peers and they were wonderful, brilliant people that I loved working with. And we all had this really great vision of working on these, um, uh, orbital launch vehicles and just being part of that was really in, like just almost like a dream come true and just so amazing and I really absolutely loved it there and I think the moral of the story and why I share my struggles because a lot of people think that how where you finish in terms of your class determines like your career and that is so far from the truth if you are persistent if you are passionate if you are you know like have good people skills if you can read a room and you can you know handle the analytics or whatever it is that you're good at like you're just destined to be good and a lot of people think that being like just book smart is enough and it's it's no longer enough and if that's all you focus on you really deprive yourself from growing in different areas like your emotional intelligence and your minute kind of like what we talked about earlier with man managerial skills um, I kind of rambled a little bit there, but I just wanted no. to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I don't know if you saw for a minute, my, my mouth was just hanging open. Like I am so in awe. <laughs> so that is amazing. Did you talk about orbital space 
vehicles. Is that what you call them? Yeah, we we worked on, uh, or the team that I worked on, we had a suborbital launch vehicle that like kind of goes past the Carmen line and comes back down. And that Carmen line is kind of like the line, it's kind of like known as the line that is between our atmosphere and outer space. Um, and um, yeah, so we did that for, to help with research projects so they can get like data or uh, analysis on um, like a, suborbital and like zero gravity, how it affects certain like different research projects and things like that. But yeah. Yeah, wow. So, wow, I just can't <laughs> say that enough. Thank you so much for, for sharing all that. And honestly, yeah, of course. you didn't ramble everything that you said. I wrote so much of it down because from the imposter syndrome and the GPA to, you know, I know that I'm gonna do amazing. And so I just wanna break that down little by little. So yeah. first of all, you said, oh, I can't believe I defined myself by my GPA. It wasn't just you. It was an entire system designed mm -hmm. to make you believe that those three numbers were mm -hmm. your worth. Yes. Um, oh, my God. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, we have to acknowledge that we didn't just come up with these notions out of thin air. We were in an environment mm -hmm. that very much made us believe that. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of people can relate to what you said, you know, do I take this shift and miss class because I need to pay rent mm -hmm. or do I go to class and then miss something down the road? Yes. And I feel like, like that in itself is the first gen or low income struggle, like maybe not having the resources to really put all your time into school. And for a long time, I like let that hold me back instead of showing up and being like, Bish, you're doing it all. Like you're working, you're doing school, like you're doing a great job. Even if you're getting like B's and C's, like you're doing amazing, like with what you have, like you're being resourceful, you're being, you know, just scrappy as hell. And that's good. You know, like these are all things that are directly, you know, can translate to being a good project manager or being a good engineer or being, you know, good at working with, you know, a low amount of resources, but still being able to perform the task, right? And a lot of times, especially in engineering, it's like, how do you simplify the design so that you can optimize, like whether it's weight or different things. And that's kind of like what it is kind of being like being first gen, right? Because we right. come from a place that maybe we don't have as many resources, but we somehow figure it out. And that's what I think is so like resilient about being first gen or first in your family or the first to go off to college. Like these are all things that maybe we see as not valuable when in reality, that experience is extremely valuable and extremely, um, you know, necessary or even adds value to the workplace. Oh yeah, absolutely. It is advantageous. And that's something that I've worked really hard on myself in the last mm -hmm. few years and um, to understand and to help others understand that, okay, the typical, you know, quote unquote typical, because what's typical, what's normal, right? Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. what people think of when they think of a college student is someone who is living on campus, who has nothing to do except go to class and go to parties. When that's mm -hmm. not the reality for many of us who are first gen. Mm -hmm. I mean, so thankfully I, um, I lived with my dad while I was in college, so I didn't have to worry about rent most of the time, but I did work because mm -hmm. um, I had to worry about other things, you know? And yeah, so, textbooks are not cheap. <laughs> they are not, you know? And so I remember I had my classes from eight to 12 and then I had to go, like I had to go because I needed to drive 45 minutes to my job. Mm -hmm. um, and that was something that only one other student in my program had to worry about. Because everybody was like, oh, we'll just hang out in like the honors college lounge because I went to, to its honors program and mm -hmm. they provided a lot of resources um, and some funding, but I needed additional funding, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, because um, like I said, I had other things to take care of. So, and for a while I saw that as a, as a detriment almost, mm -hmm. you know, like, oh, I didn't get a chance to join 5 million clubs and to fundraise, you know, $3 million, like literally $3 million to build a safe house and so on. So, and mm -hmm. I, I saw that as negative, mm -hmm. but recently I looked back and realized that it's not, it was, it, it's, it was, it's what shaped me. First of all, it's mm -hmm. what allowed me to make many of like the first gen mistakes 
in a low setting environment. You yes. Know? Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. So I, and I'm a low, a low risk setting is what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, remember, I totally knew, knew what you meant. Yeah. Oh, great. Thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember um, I was uh, a receptionist and somebody gave us the rent check. And one time I stuck it in a locker for like three weeks and not just one rent check. Oops. <laughs> and then like my boss like opens that locker and she's like, oh, is this where they were? I was wondering why we were short on cash flow this month. And I was like, oops. I'm sorry but again that was a learning experience and that's so that's something that I'm haven't thought about that in like 10 years um (laughs) but again I'm glad I learned it in this um environment that was um very very comfortable very uh relatively low risk um you know they didn't give me too much an opportunity to make the business come crashing down no Um, yeah Right. And, and as opposed to some of these, you know, quote unquote, typical students or students who don't have that need to be resourceful, mm-hmm. then they show up in the workplace and are making mistakes that we've already made and we've already learned from. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, one thing that like your story reminds me of something. Um, my roommate and I, I remember we were both in a very similar situation. She was also a woman of color and you know, we're the only women of color in our classes. I studied mechanical engineering. She studied um, biomedical engineering, I believe, and um, biological systems engineering. That's what she studied. And I remember we were coming toward the end and and sitting for finals. And both of us were in a similar situation where like we both worked, we both had jobs and we hadn't, you know, done well. And we were counting on the final to make, to literally pass this class. And I remember it's like, as the, it was like three days before the final and our final was at the same time on the same day. And it's the day before and we've been studying and she just like starts to like cry and be overwhelmed. And I was like, listen, Chanel, we are going to study. And I promise you after, after we finish our finals, we'll meet on campus. We'll fucking ball our eyes off and cry together. But right now we cannot afford to cry. We cannot afford to not (laughs) study. We just need to study until you know 2 a.m and then we have enough time to get somewhat decent sleep to to go to our mid our final and I remember she like she eventually was like okay you're right like let's do this and we studied we went to our finals and guess what we did after we met up on campus and we cried our eyes out and I think a day or two later we found we both passed our classes (laughs) and I feel like like sometimes and I feel like that's life is like you can either choose to be upset about something or just choose to commit 100% and be like, let's just see how it goes. I'm not going to worry about crying over this. I'm not going to worry about not passing. I can, I can, I still have time to change that. But if I worry about not passing, I'm taking away time from studying, which can get me to pass. And I feel like that is resilience, right? That's like a form of really resilience that many people weren't treading those fine lines, right? A lot of our colleagues weren't ever treading those lines. And because we were, I think when, Maybe in life when things do happen, I don't think we take it as hard because we realize that there's more to it than just a grade or just retaking a class or whatever the negative outcome is. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Resilience. That is such a foundational attribute that many of us come back to. Um, And yeah, and it's this experiences of like, I don't. I, I can't afford <laughs> to break down right now. I need to just make it happen. And uh, wow, yeah, thank you for sharing that story. It's also, you know, like, first of all, if there's anybody in college or grad school right now, please access your uh, your school's counseling services, yes. mental health counseling services, yes. because as you were telling your story of, you know, you and your roommate crying, I just thought about me and my best friend just crying because we had a, a chemistry final at 8 a.m. or crying for a variety of other grade related issues Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah everybody just take a breath and remember it's gonna be okay yeah yeah and those resources are very are there to help us and like many times they'll have like therapists in training you know you know Mm -hmm. therapies can be a a really great option and can be affordable, especially if you're on campus. Sometimes they have really great um, like programs or free therapy and things like that. Yes. Oh yeah, definitely take advantage of everything that 
your tuition dollars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you are paying for that. So, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay. Um, I want to go back to something that you said earlier because it was so amazing. Well, two things uh, you said first is I'm going to show up and be authentic. And mm-hmm. if I can't be authentic, then it's not the place for me. So what does being authentic in the workplace mean to you? Oh, that is such a good question. I think the way that I interpreted that was, you know, we are more than what we do, right? Like for me, I I got a mechanical engineering degree and I was an engineer for many years, but I'm a lot more than just an engineer, right? Like I am, you know, someone who can raise the level or the vibe in a room. I'm someone who like can take a team that maybe feels defeated and turn it around and get us, you know, motivated to reach a goal. Like I am so much like I I can add all this value and I have all this, like, I'm just great with reading even people and tones and being like, they're upset offline. I'm going to go talk to them, make sure they're okay. Right. That is like something we're not really taught to do in school, but it's just something that I care about the people I work with and I care about the teams that I'm on. So I'm going to make sure that we're all good. And so for me, being authentic means showing that who I am, like showing my, my experience, um, why I've made certain decisions, you know, and in this interview, it was like an hour that I had, uh, I had one hour in the beginning to give a presentation on my career. And I spent most of the time, maybe 30 minutes going over technical stuff. And I actually spent the other half focusing on my upbringing, focusing on why I wanted to work in the space industry, focusing on like, what was the motivation behind it? The books that I read, the TED talks that motivated me. Like I wanted to show like who I am and like that I'm super nerdy and really about this and, and use the, my own tone of voice, right. Instead of just being like, you know, actually showing up with like, like, I don't know, what's the word, my personal brand or my personal voice, because I wanted to create a connection. And I think as engineers, especially, we're, you know, told to, uh, obviously, to do really well in technical interviews. But at the end of the day, regardless of whether you're an engineer, or a nurse or a teacher, at the end of the day, an employer wants to hire someone that they like, they want to hire someone that works well with a team that can maybe make people laugh or that can add some kind of value. And so for me, I was like, I'm just going to show up and be funny, crack jokes and be my own person to show that like, I am a whole person outside of, of what I do and what I can offer. So I think that's what I mean by like showing up authentically. I just, you know, I think for a very long time, I felt like I couldn't be myself. And I was like, that's not cool. Like, I want to be able to be myself and I'm going to walk in there and I'm going to be myself. And if they like what they see, they can take it. And if not, I'll find somewhere else that will, you know? Yes. Oh, that is, that is so great. So first of all, shout out to you for bringing in your whole self and and your passions and, and your experiences to that presentation. I feel like it's, like a really intense first date almost, you know, <laughs> like you want, you want to be uh, the best version of yourself, but also the truest version of yourself, but also you want to get this job um, so this <laughs> a lot to, to balance. But yeah, Absolutely. But yeah. And, um, and I go back, I've been, I mean, I didn't articulate it as beautiful as you just did, but I think about um, something that I, I was telling a friend of mine, maybe six years ago, both of our, our VISTA program. So we were both volunteers in service to America. So mm-hmm. we did the, the VISTA program and mm-hmm. both of our year of service was wrapping up and she had a job interview. And I was like, listen, like you need to remember that job interviews are just a conversation. You know, like you already know you're qualified for the job. They already know you're qualified for the job. You're just having a conversation. You're getting to know each other to see if it's the right fit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for so, both parties too. Yeah, not just for them, but for you too. Yeah, so many people forget that when you interview is a two-way street, and that you get to interview them. You know, like make them sweat. It's like, hmm, ah. what are the challenges that you have in you know if somebody were to accept this role, what are the challenges they would face in the next three to six months? Yeah. Make them sweat. <laughs> yeah. And one thing is like, if you see any red flags, like don't like honor them. You know, if you, if you feel the vibe or if you have red flags, like 
don't brush them off. That is like you telling your, your like higher self is trying to like tell you something. And I feel like when I went into my first interview, there was a lot of red flags and I was like, whatever, it's my first job. So I'll take anything. And, and that was like, I literally just took, I was like in this low vibe place with like terrible support and like very condescending. Like I literally had to argue with the sales um, director all the time. Cause like they wanted to do things that were not like, they would say yes to projects that like engineering hadn't even looked at. And I was like, that's not even feasible. Like, why didn't you even ask? <laughs> like, like, why do you even have a team of engineers if you're not going to like check to see if it's like, we can do it. But like, um, yeah, it's like really important. Like if you feel a vibe, if you see red flags, like don't ignore them. I did. And I like was in that toxic work environment for like two years, but I learned from it kind of like what you said, you know, like I made mistakes and then I learned from them. That was my big mistake. I was, I don't even know how I lasted that long in that toxic low work environment, but it definitely made me level up the way I interviewed. After that, I was like, never again. I'm never going to do that. I'm always going to make sure it's a good job. And I have said no to jobs that like I, I picked up red flags and I was like, I don't know exactly what it was about that job, but that's going to be a no for me. Right. And that's hard to do, especially when, um, if you feel like, oh, what if I don't get another job? like again, scarcity mindset, it's just going to keep you in these like bad situations unless you like rise above it and say like, no, there's more, there's better and there's more out there for me and I'm going to find it kind of thing. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. So absolutely honor the intuition, honor mm-hmm. the, you know, even if you can't quite pinpoint it, that's going to be a no for me. I found this acronym recently. I don't know if it's like super old, super cliche. It was the first time I saw it. So I'm going to talk about it. It said no equals next opportunity. Oh, I love that. (laughs) I really, I really do. And I tell my clients all the time that like, sometimes no is just another way of the universe saying like, not this door, like not this door. There's another door out there, but it's not this one. And it's just like, it's hard. It's so it's, it is hard. I'm not going to lie. It is hard, but it is so rewarding when you do stick to your guns and you do believe it. It's so rewarding. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. So I wanted to ask you about that because this, um, about being in higher vibes, about knowing that there is more out there for you and going for it. I mean, you said before, I'm an, I know I'm an amazing engineer and I know I want to work in space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not very familiar. With no, you're totally fire. fine. No, you're all <laughs> right. good. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so, so you had this firm knowledge mm-hmm. and that's not the first time that you've had this firm knowledge, right? Can you talk um, a little bit about other times when you've just not known for sure beyond any sort of doubt that there is more out there for you? Oh, this is so good. Um, you know, kind of like I mentioned before, like I used to let my that GPA like kind of dictate like, oh, I'm not good or like I'm not as smart or I'm not worthy, right? And I had like these like limiting beliefs for the longest time. And it wasn't until actually that like, there's a lot going on in my life. Um, I I was plagued with self-doubt and imposter syndrome. And it wasn't until I started to actually practice mindfulness and actually start journaling and actually start being aware of my thoughts. And I also was like, started, you know, seeing a therapist for the first time. And that in itself is a whole nother like conversation for first gen Latino Latinos. But um, that's when I really started to recognize it. Like, wow, like the first thing I think is what if I fail? Like, that's the first thing I think. Like a good opportunity shows up and I'm like, well, what if it falls through? What if they say no? Like those were like my thoughts. And then once I started to actually acknowledge them and start to journal and realize that like I'm operating from a low vibe place, I'm creating a low vibe life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and once I started to challenge those, so if I would think like, well, what if this fails, right? I would challenge it and be like, well, one, it's not going to fail. And two, like them saying no is not failure. And three, like, what if this is actually really amazing? Like, what if they pay you really well? What if you meet really great people? What if you like, you know, are part of a team that like sends Jeff Bezos to, you know, the Carmen line, which hello, that was me. And um, (laughs) like, I turned it around from like, what if I fail? Or what if it doesn't work? To what if this is amazing? Like, what if I grow from this? 
And when I started to transition those thoughts, taking action was still scary, but I was able to move forward with courage, which means that I'm still scared, but I'm still taking action. And I think once I started to actually show up and, and take action, what I found was I did well. And then it would be like, wow, I did really well. What would happen if I tried this? What would happen if I tried that? And I would try and do well. And then, and I started to really, that's when I started to really recognize like, wow, if I do not try, if I never go for what I want. I'm never going to have the life I dream of. Whereas if I go for what I want, at least I can say I, I went and I tried. And most of the time I did really well. And even the times that I didn't, like I learned something about it. And it was like, maybe there's a more, uh, better way to approach the situation but I wasn't always like high vibe I was actually low vibe for a while and the reason why it was is because I was operating from a place of scarcity and growing up you know poor and growing up like with like you know immigrant parents like all of that all of that even our experience as little kids all of that shapes our beliefs whether they're good, limiting or like limiting beliefs or like high vibe beliefs. But if you come from a poor background, if you come from an immigrant background, chances are you're dealing with a lot of imposter syndrome and limiting beliefs. Uh, for me, like, I'm going to share this, but um, I saw my parents argue a lot about rent and money. And what did that, that seven-year-old Evie, what did that make me think? It made me believe and ingrained that money is hard to make. Money causes problems. Like, because if money was easy to make, my parents wouldn't be arguing about them. So this was like the mindset I started to ingrate as a young child. And in adulthood, I still had them. And it wasn't until I started to pay attention and change them that I actually started to, like my career took off, like, you know, my money, like how much I saved and how much I invested took off, like all my relationships in both romantic and friends, like they just all skyrocketed. When I actually started to do that, like mind work, like I just started to be in higher vibe places. If that, I don't know if that makes any sense. Yes, that makes perfect sense. So much sense. And it makes sense today in, at the end of 2021, I wonder if it would have made sense two years ago. I mean, actually, no, I'm going to give myself some credit. I don't think I could have articulated what I can articulate now, two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. We were different people, yes. you know what I mean? Yes. Mm -hmm. Like, like I think um, a lot of people maybe see me and think like, wow, like that's so amazing. She's like so confident. She's this, she's that. I was not always confident. I was not always this amazing. <laughs> like this is like a new thing or maybe I was amazing, but I was like, you know, playing small or not really showing up as my authentic self. And I, in really investing in myself and like in therapy, I feel like was the first key thing that really helped me. I really started to unlock parts of myself that I was afraid to share with the world, you know? And like, so like, if you go back three, four years ago, I was operating on low vibe place, like low vibe, the world's out to get, uh, out to get me. Like I can't afford to go on expensive vacations because I have to take care of my parents. And you know, all the, there's this one quote that I heard recently and it said, um, if you argue for your limiting beliefs, you get to keep them. And that's what I did for the longest time. And it was only until I started to challenge them like three years ago that I really started to become who I am today. So like, I, yeah, it's just, it's just wild. It, it is. Wow. Yes. I, I hear you because I also feel like I've been on this journey. Like I said, I don't know if a year ago, two years ago, five years ago, I would have been able to have this. And, you know, when you were talking about like just going for it, I remember um, something I used to say a lot in college. Um, I would say some mistakes you just have to make. Mm -hmm. And I'm not really sure where that came from. And why would anybody want to make a mistake? <laughs> but I, I, I'm, I'm thinking back to where I was. And, and what I, I think what I was trying to communicate is even if this turns out to be a mistake, I still have to do it um yeah and 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 most of the time it was okay you know most of the time yeah. it wasn't what if I fail most of the time it's like no what if I grow what if yeah. this actually is amazing you know like moving I was the first person to leave my house like I have Same. three sisters and I was the first person to leave I, I went to college in Utah and it was like oh my god and 
the biggest thing was that everybody would always tell me you can always move back and that's what I eventually that's the kind of mentality that I always stopped but it's like well all right well I'm gonna try this and if I fall flat on my face I can just go back to my comfort zone yeah yeah. Um, yeah for me it was like yeah when I left I was like oh no I'm never going back, <laughs> you know, like once you get out and you see part of the world, you're like, no, I, I don't want to go back, but not like in a bad way, more of like, there's so much to see right. and I'm mm-hmm. so young and, and like, I want to see not all of it, but as much as I can, you know, and I feel like that's exciting. Um, it is. It's so exciting to, to think. And regardless of what age someone is like the day, the age that you are right now, this is as young as you're going to be. Yes. So think about that. This is yes. you're going to be go for it. Okay. You know, this is going to be maybe like TM, TMI, but like, I think about this anytime that I feel shame about like getting in a bikini, going to the beach. Like sometimes like I'll like feel self-conscious and I'm like, you know what? This is literally the youngest you're going to be. So you better go out there and like rock that bikini. Cause this is the youngest you're going to be. And, and like, some people feel like you have to be a certain weight or a certain whatever. It's like, no, you're like enough right now, right now with mm-hmm. your little like muffin top, like you are enough. You deserve love. And like, that is like being able to like, just feel so confident as yourself and not have to be like, no, I have to hit a certain weight or a, a this or that. And I feel like it's personal, but that's the same for work. Like you don't need that extra certification. You don't need that master's degree. Like you're enough right now. And like, yes, if you want to go and get that master's degree or get that certification, that's awesome. But right now you're worth it and you can get paid like a salary that aligns with you and not just wait until you have the next thing. Because what, guess what happens? We get it. And then there's another goal. They're like, well, I'm going to wait until I have this. I'm going to wait until I have the next one, you know? Um, oh, so, yes. Yeah. I definitely know. I actually... <laughs> So about, we're in 2021. So 2020, yeah. it's been a blur of 18 months, you know, that we like, yesterday? it just meshes to get meshes all yeah. together. Right. Yeah. So I, um, I had so many limiting beliefs around my student loans um, mm. and around just like what I studied. Oh my God, you know, like I can only have this like two or three specific jobs otherwise this master's degree that like took my health and took my money you know it's not <laughs> going to be worth it um so I definitely had these this leaving and beliefs um well depends on the day because I do remember one time I was saying um I am the most qualified person in a hundred mile radius this is the job for me. And then guess mm. what? They didn't give it to me. They didn't offer it to me. I was so brokenhearted. I was like, I really thought that this was a job for me. And then, um, and applying to jobs. And, and then I was starting to have just so much fear around mm. applying to jobs. And it, was, it wasn't until I realized that I had made the stakes so high because, and I, I talk a lot about lowering the stakes. I feel like that's a, a recurring theme right now because it's mm-hmm. sometimes being first gen, we make everything life or death. Mm-hmm. And so at some point in my academic journey, I have made getting a job right after grad school, the, in, the single most important metric of success. Mm, and yeah. if I, yeah, you know, and if I didn't, get a job if I didn't graduate with a job that means I wasted two years that means I wasted $72,000 that means I wasted um my family time Mm -hmm. that means I wasted this that means I wasted that and it means I let my family down and it none of it was worth it and I wasn't worth it and this and it was just such a dark spiral that the thought of applying to jobs was paralyzing and it was and it and it it wasn't until I finally, re- and everybody was like, oh, I'm so excited. You're so excited to apply for jobs. And I'm like, really? Because I'm, I'm like sweating every time I think about this. Um, yeah. So again, once I remembered, hey, just lower the stakes. It's just a job. And I was like, all right, align myself, get myself into a better, higher vibe. Yeah. And guess who came knocking and said, hey, guess what, Carla? You are the most qualified person in a hundred miles. Do you still want the job? <laughs> that's amazing that's amazing it was like literally they're just waiting for the right vibe you know 
but this is a lot of, I think, um, a lot of, you know, where you're not the only person that feels that way. You know what I mean? You're not the only person that struggled with that. I'm sure like I have personally, you know, and I know that there are other people out there. I've had, I had one client that also had a, like, she was like finishing up her, her degree and we were like, all right, let's do this. Let's get this job. And she was like, so afraid to like even interview. And I think because a part of it was like, well, now I'm going to be found out like, yeah, I don't know how I got my degree, but I did. But now they're going to find out I'm like not very well qualified because we have this like, you know, imposter syndrome that we deal with. And it's just like, she was like one of the most qualified people for this job. You know what I mean? But it just, sometimes it just like, we feel almost outed or we feel like, oh my God, what if they say no? Them saying no means something about me. The reality is like somebody saying no has nothing to do with you. Like nothing to do with you, you know? Oh yeah. And I, so imposter syndrome definitely has played a role both explicitly and implicitly in my life and in the life of many others. Like I have to remind myself and remind people like, Hey, asking for help doesn't make you a fraud. Asking for help Mm-mm. means you, you are self-aware enough to know that you need help with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we can talk about imposter syndrome for like hours, but, um, I do want to say this is like, it, it was almost like a hack that I found out. And I was like, wow, people are hiding this. You know, like, <laughs> once I, I'm so glad I learned this early in my career because it's what helped me, you know, have this like nonchalant view of job interviewing. Mm-hmm. It's really exhausting to try to hire a candidate. Yes. So a company puts in, they have to, you know, like the process to get the job posted can take a single day and require a single person, or it can take up to 10 people. So that's a super long process. You know, the description needs to be approved, the places, they, you know, a lot of places they need to have it open for a certain number of, of specific days. They need to interview a certain number of people. Like it takes a long time. And I have, now that I've seen that, and I saw that super early in my career, and then I remember being part of a panel interview because we were interviewing for another Vista. I was a Vista too. Mm-hmm. And we had three amazing candidates who all had different skill sets, but who could all do the job in their own way in the best, like in three different ways that would have all been the right way. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I realized, I was like, wow, you can be completely qualified for the job and still not get it. And that's nothing about you. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I just want to like add on to that. You mentioned that like, it is hard to like hire someone in the same way that it is expensive to like, let someone go. And that's something I tell people because sometimes people feel like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get fired. I'm going to get this and that. And it's like, girl, it's, it's expensive to like, let someone go. Right. And I feel like I say this because sometimes People fear to ask for more money or like negotiate salary because they're afraid of like losing their job. And it's like, no. And this is exactly why, because the onboarding process is long. It's lengthy. It's expensive. It's just so laborious. So it's like, no, they're not going to go and like let you go because you ask for more money. Right. But these right. are some of the things that like we, we tell ourselves. Right. And then we're like, yeah. oh, we can't ask more because they'll fire me you know and I love to tell people and remind them like it's really hard to fire someone like very hard so like Mm -hmm. you know yeah oh yeah yes and that brings us to um sort of the the last thing I wanted to talk about is we've talked a lot about imposter syndrome and and how that plays a role in our careers um seems that it also plays a role in asking for more money (laughs) asking for negotiation so what are some insights that you can share for someone who just wants to slave salary negotiations mm-hmm. or who just wants to may not even realize, you know, imposter syndrome, that's the thing about, about it. Sometimes it's not a, it's not a big, like a uh, huge sign saying, Hey, you're an imposter. Sometimes it's just like a little voice and say, Hey, no, don't ask for more money. They're going to get mad at you, you mm-hmm. know, or mm-hmm. they're going to think you're greedy. It's like all these little beliefs. Mm-hmm. So what are some of your, um, insights uh, for someone who is getting ready to, or maybe who hasn't even thought about, you know, yeah. uh, negotiating their salary. But yeah, sure. this is a great question. Um, in my program, like I focus, I'm so glad you mentioned limiting beliefs because that is actually where I spend the most amount of time. 
And I think a lot of people have this misconception that if I just use the perfect script to like ask for a salary increase, that it'll work. And that is far from the truth. You can go in with the perfect like things to say, but if you don't believe the words that are coming out of your mouth, neither were the employer. So if you don't believe that you're worth that much, they're gonna they're not gonna believe you are either. And so this is why like focusing on limiting limiting beliefs is like the most impactful way you can approach salary negotiations. So something that I have my clients work on is like doing a lot of like money, like trauma healing and like journaling around just the thought of negotiating. Like what are some things that you feel and write them down? Like, oh, I feel like I'm I'm being too greedy. I feel like I'm being confrontational for asking for more money. I feel like um, I'm, I, you know, not enough or that I need to do more, or I feel like whatever they are, write them down. And then like, literally be like, take off this like hat. Don't feel what, what's on the paper is on the paper. So like, do not get attached to it. Do not feel bad about what's on there. And then be like a lawyer who's rebuttaling the opposite. Like literally each one that you write, like, show, pull from experience, pull from the things you've done, the projects that you have done well, and even outside of work and prove how those things are not true. You know, like if you think I'm greedy or I'm afraid they're going to think I'm greedy and then write down like all the things you do that literally are not greedy. Like, oh, well, I like have no problem helping my mom pay her rent, or I have no problem covering food when friends need help or anything that is literally the opposite. And they're like, oh, I'm not greedy. I like literally I have all these things here that are telling me I am not greedy, but something about me asking for my money makes me feel that I am. And so I have people focus there and then kind of like, there's this like self-coaching model that like I learned from my coach and I, I forget what it like, I'd have to like draw it out. But the idea is like asking for more money is neither good or bad. Asking for more money is just a circumstance, but the way that you, their thought is I'm greedy. And when you think I'm greedy, like the action you take from there is like, well, I don't want to negotiate. Or maybe when you negotiate, you don't really like come from a place, like advocate for yourself because you're afraid of coming off greedy. And then the result of that is you, maybe you don't get the salary negotiation raise where instead, if you take the same circumstance and you think, you know, I'm going to ask for more money or I'm going to ask for a salary increase. And your thought is, I'm an amazing individual with amazing skills. And like, I'm going to get paid this because I'm really good at my job. If you, if that's the thought you think, then the action is going to be like, I'm going to be excited to put together my salary negotiation, how I'm going to convey my experience and my work that I've done. And then when you go to do that, the result is that you do convince your employer to like, be like, oh yeah, you have done so much. And like, it, you literally put it on mon- monetary value, like $10,000, that's nothing. Yes, we're going to give you that. But if you, if your initial thought is like, I'm greedy or I'm not enough, then everything else is literally like your results, your action, all of those things are manifested from your thought, which is yeah. why I focus so much on thoughts and limiting beliefs, because that's what needs to be in- addressed first to even be able to have a successful conversation about why you deserve more at work, whether you're in the same job or you're transitioning into a new job. And so like, I know that sounds like not the typical answer because most people would say like, oh, do salary research or do, you know, whatever it is, right? Practice, practice is also important, but focus on your thoughts. If If you're thinking negative or low vibe things about asking for money, then there's something there that needs to be addressed before you can go on and do it successfully. Like, you know, and slay your salary negotiation. Yes. Oh, I love that question. The validity of your limited beliefs. That has been my motto lately for all things. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, whenever I start asking myself, it's how I I left the career where I was underpaid and I got Mm -hmm. like a 30% increase in one, you know, from one job to another. Yes, that's amazing. (laughs) I'm so proud of you. Oh my gosh. Yes. More women like you, please. (laughs) Yeah. And and yeah, and it came from questioning the validity of my limited beliefs. Again, all surrounding my student loans and the fact Mm -hmm. that like my master's and I was like, oh my God, if I don't get this one job. 
I'm never going to get a job because my master's prepared me for this one job. And it's like, really? That's not quite it. Yeah. You know? Right. But same thing. It's like, really? You're not greedy. And then just list out the, the proof. And yeah. it's, sometimes people think that proof is like magical, but it's literally, it can be literally like words on paper. Yes. It's like, this is the proof that you are successful. This is the proof that you are good at your job. It's words on paper. It's the process of putting your thoughts on paper and elevating your thoughts. So after you question the validity of this beliefs, these feelings, um, yeah, definitely question them and then just elevate your thoughts. I think that's great advice. People- yeah. And I would say like, if, if like, just for me, it's like, if I feel bad, I, I stop, like I stop when I'm doing like, whoa, I feel like not good about this. Like, why don't I feel good about this? And I literally pull my journal and I'll like journal my thoughts. And then it, whether it's money, whether it's like work, whether it's my business, whatever it is, interrupting those thoughts is like part of the process because the idea is like in the beginning, you're not going to be good at interrupting your thoughts because you've gone your whole life unchecking your, with your thoughts mm-hmm. unchecked, right? And so like when you start to interrupt them, that's like a good process to have. But at some point you do it so much, it becomes second nature. And then you're literally operating from a place of like, they call it um, unconscious competency, right? Me, me not, not acknowledging my thoughts is unconscious incompetency. Me interrupting my negative thoughts is conscious competency. And the, where you want to be is in this subconscious competency, because that means like, you're not even thinking about interrupting your thoughts anymore. You just are, you're just interrupting them like as a natural habit and then making sure that they're better aligned with what you want to get out of life or what you want to get out of your job or your salary negotiation. But first, the first step is to just be aware of what your thoughts are like step number one, you know? Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. And so many of us just spend our life going through a checklist or really running away from our own thoughts. You know, how many of us fill up our days with things, just doing things. things. Yeah. Right. Things and activities and, and, and whether they're super meaningful or super trivial, we're still filling up our days so that we don't have to acknowledge our thoughts. Um, So yeah, that is, that is probably the first time that I hear that as um, salary negotiation insight, but I think it's groundbreaking. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like if you want to go for out and get like a five figure increase, like you have to, you know what I mean? Like you have to like, whatever you're doing is like not working. It's like, okay, we have to rethink how we want to get there. And um, yeah. I know, I, I, I feel like, it's worked for all of my clients that I've had. It's worked for myself personally. Like I recently just did the math and like um, kind of like my the trend line of if I would not have negotiated and it literally would be like close to half of what I like start, like what, I, what I'm making, which is crazy to think that if I would have been too scared and never negotiated, I'd be making half of what I'm making now. Wow. At six so, years into my career, right? So like, it's like, if you are afraid, it's okay to be afraid. Like, I'm not saying be fearless because that's not true. You're always going to be afraid. I'm always nervous anytime I negotiate, you know? The difference is that if you give into your fear of not asking for more, you're never going to be, you're never going to get more, never. But if you, at least, even if you're scared and you don't do a good job, you're like, okay, that didn't go very well, <laughs> but I'm going to do that again. And I'm going to improve how I do that. And it's just the whole trying and failing. Like, yeah. you, like we have to try and we're going to fail sometimes and that's okay. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, that is so beautiful. So I'm going to close with your words from earlier today. Um, you know, it's okay to be afraid, but just move forward with courage. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So Evie, thank you so, so much for sharing your journey, sharing so many insightful pieces of actionable advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those who want to learn more about you and work with you, where can they find you? Yes. Yeah, so I, uh, you can find me on Instagram at La Mala Mujer blog. 
And um, you can also find me on my website, which is La Mala Mujer. And I'm actually launching a group coaching program to help uh, women and people of color and first gen negotiate their salary. So that I, um, let's see, enrollment is open until the first week of December, but I'm so excited because I really think that in community, we can do this like so much easier. So I'm really excited about that. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much. I, I am sure that you're going to help all. Um, yeah. Everybody in the community just level up. I yes. am so excited. Too. We all deserve it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I'm, yes, together. Yeah. 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 Together. Together. Yeah. Together. Let's move forward with courage. Thank you, Evie. No, thank you so much. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you're feeling inspired and ready to tap into your strengths and activate your fullest potential. If you love the show and want to support it, you have a few ways to do so. You can subscribe wherever you are listening, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, or you can share the episode with your friends via DM or on social media. These are all easy and great ways to support the show and help new listeners find us. If you don't already, follow at Coach by Carla on Instagram. Thank you and see you next time.